It's a day from free from work. So one of the connections between the Sabbath and the poor is that on the Sabbath day, you're not supposed to make anyone else work. So I wouldn't want to hire a Jew, for example, to clean my house on Sunday, which is my Sabbath, um, and make them work on my Sabbath day just so that I don't have to work. Um, it would be important to honor them in their Sabbath. And by giving the poor a day free from all work, they are delivered from their oppression. So the connection between the one day of Sabbath and the Jubilee, which is seven times seven Sabbath, is that the Jubilee year is to release people from their debts. When that was done with uh, Jewish people um, in the Holy Land, some scholars question whether it ever really was done. And I think that's an interesting question that we'd have to look back in Judaica to understand. Um, but we've been trying it now in the 20th century when the year 2000, a lot of people signed on to the plan to have a jubilee when two-thirds world nations would be freed from their debts. Now, I don't know how extensively that went, but I joined the campaign, and I'm sure lots of you did too, um, because it was very important. It's very important to me to free uh, people from debts. So a lot of times on Sabbath day is the day that I love to give away the monthly income from my household. It's fun on a Sabbath day to give lots of, water, of money to dig wells or lots of money to feed the hungry and various um, agencies around the world that I've found have a good track record. And I try to do a lot of research on the various agencies so I find one that uses the least money for advertising and the most money actually goes to the people themselves. So um, I like to talk in my congregation back home. I'm the corresponding secretary for Northwest Harvest South, where we try to have food banks for the poor people. And on Sunday morning, I like to challenge the people in our congregation. Um, and last year, they went from 20,000 a year to 30,000 a year, which was pretty good. Um, we'll see what they do next year <laughs> as I try to goad them on Sundays to, because we gather up offerings for that in our congregation. So it's a very important connection between the Sabbath, God's desire to deliver the people and God's desire to deliver all people from debt and oppression. Jesus does a wonderful job of covering Things. It's just that we don't necessarily always cover them when, when we want to. But the, the stories of the gospel cover lots of subjects. And sometimes they cover them directly. And sometimes it's kind of like a diving board. You know, the diving board just sends you up in the air. But what you do with it, you determine. And, and tonight, we're going to talk about Sabbath because of how it relates to what Jesus does. Not because he's specifically talking about Sabbath at this time. Uh, but this is going to set up something. Hopefully you, you, you remember uh, that uh, a few weeks ago we talked about Jesus uh, sending out his disciples and how he loves to work through you and I. He loves to work through, through people just like you and, and people just like me. Uh, we may question that judgment, uh, but he does. And uh, then, then um, basically people came and criticized him. <laughs> and then uh, actually it was Herod uh, came and kind of criticized him. And then we hear about the story of John. And now Good things are about to start happening again. So let's start off in the scripture. And uh, it is page number 712. We have, and I don't think I typed that right in the bulletin. It says 711, I think. But it is 712. That's my mistake. 
And we're going to be reading verses 30 through 34. Now, we're about to hit some really compelling stories. I think all of Scripture is compelling. But uh, don't jump ahead this time. I would usually say if I bore you, keep on reading the Scripture. And obviously you're welcome to do that. But uh, tonight, I think, is setting up everything that's about to happen. So, starting at verse 30, this is what it says. The apostles, and just because of all the different traditions that we come from, who were the apostles? They were just people like you and I. No more holy, no more, no more spiritual, just people like you and me. They, they didn't have anything special about them that, that you or, or I don't possess. In fact, some of them were bigger losers than some of us in this room, and some of us are bigger losers than them. They were just normal people that God used and did amazing things through. And then we gave them titles just so that we could say, hey, these people, God did really cool things through. But not, hey, we gave them titles because these people are the only ones God does really special things through. I love our stories about heroes in the Christian faith, but I think sometimes we use them, use them as excuses not to do stuff. Oh, Mother Teresa sacrificed all this. That's great. God could use her so I don't have to. They're supposed to, to encourage us and challenge us, not be the excuse just so we can do nothing. The apostles were just like you and me. So the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, uh, them, excuse me, compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. So here's, here's what happens. Jesus takes the 12 and he sends them out and he says, go out. I give you authority to cast out evil, a.k.a. to kick demons out of people and to heal, uh, heal. Uh, am I pronouncing that right? I'm sorry. My southern accent gets in the way sometimes. We can't? That's a southern thing? Uh, okay, so how would you pronounce it? To Heal. See, this is another thing where all you Yankees are wrong. Okay, so... Yes, you did win the war. And the, the thing is, is I'm kind of glad about that, but I know people who aren't. Um, so, how about this? To cast out evil and to make people better. Does that sound all right? I'm sorry, guys. I know my accent gets in the way sometimes. So, they go out and they do it. He says, go and do this, and they do it. And what happens is they come back. And I want you to think about it. If, if, I, if I, and this sounds weird because I'm comparing myself to Jesus here. So instead, Pete, I always use you as the emperor. I'm going to just use you here. If Pete was like, go in my name and put in furnaces. There we go. And, and all of us suddenly went in and just did furnace work for everybody. Word would get around. I mean, come on, let's face it. If I fixed a furnace, word would definitely get around. Something miraculous has happened. And, and people might follow and that's what happens here is they come back they come back and they start telling jesus what happens 
And all these people start coming. Crowds start forming. And Jesus does exactly what you think he would do when a crowd starts to form. What does he do? He what? No. He runs away. He takes a break. He goes, wow, there are a lot of people here. Let's go somewhere else. I love the fact that Jesus never responded. I mean, let's face it. If suddenly we had 150 people show up on a Sunday night, how would we respond here? I know. (laughs) Those of you who know the plan, those of you who know the plan, because the plan is this, to split. I'm sorry. I know for some of you who are raised in church, you hate that word, to divide. The plan is to form another church and to reach even more people in new and and special ways. But let's say another 50 make it here, okay? And they'd be like, wow, there's a lot of people here. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. What if suddenly we had the biggest crowd we ever had? And I was like, guys, let's all take a nap. I mean, yeah, some of y'all would be like, this is awesome. (laughs) We should get 200 people here next week. (laughs) Jesus doesn't do the very thing you think he would do, though. I've been a part of churches that have helped with Billy Graham crusades. And you do all this planning for for twenty to 40,000 people. And if Billy Graham showed up and said, there's a lot of people here. I'm taking a nap. People would be ticked. They would not respond with, that's awesome. Billy Graham's sleeping. This is wonderful. We should all take naps too. No, they would be, they'd be mad. But that's how Jesus responds. He responds by saying, there's so much to do. Let's go somewhere and rest. You think? Do you think? If students, you're in the midst of finals. And you're prepping and you're prepping. And Jesus says, sleep now. Do you think you really would be? I I heard no, and I don't. Why not? Yeah. Or maybe you still have more preparing to do. And he's like, sleep. I know you say that. Okay. And forced you to sleep. Why? Because you weren't doing it on your own. All right. Why? Why does Jesus do this? And I think it comes down to to. the video that we just watched. The video that we just watched is based on this. This is from Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. God creates all that there is in six days, and his response is to rest. I, I, I find it interesting. You said, I need to rest. Did God need to rest? No. He chose to rest, and that's huge. It's not like God was like, oh. I just need to veg in front of a TV and eat some greasy potato chips. That's how I rest, okay? That's what I, what I need to do. No, he chose to rest. Could God create a job so big that even he couldn't do it without a nap? I have no idea. Could God create a stone so big he couldn't lift it? I don't know. But this is what I know. Is he created... And he rested. We call it the, the Sabbath. This is the Hebrew word for it. Shabbat is, is the Hebrew pronunciation on it. And it is huge and it is a command. Okay? It is, it is one of the commands where God says, you 
will do this. But it goes against so much of who we are. I know people who brag about their calendars. I have been in a worship service where a minister of music said, I will pull my calendar out and I will compare it to anybody in this room. And I guarantee you, I am busier than you. That's not something to brag on. I, I am in uh, meetings with pastors a lot. I'm in meetings with pastors where they will say, I do not have time to rest. Pastors bragging about breaking the command of God. I mean, that's not a good thing, but we see it all the time. So the question is, why is it that maybe we view a balanced life, that we view rest as a bad thing? And, and the scarier thing is, is, what does it say about our faith? See, God, in, in regards to the, the Sabbath, made this statement. He said that, that this was holy. It is holy, but holy to who? To the Lord. That, that we have a holy Sabbath to the Lord. That we do this not because we need it, but because we do this so that we are focused on Him. It is to the Lord. The Sabbath is different from just... Ugh. Sabbath is a purposeful stopping. It's not just rest. Rest is a good word for it. But you know, sometimes you rest because you're just worn out. And then other times you rest because you say, I have to stop. It's different. He then says this. He says that it is a sign. Now, what does a sign do? It directs. It what? It marks something. If, if there's a sign there, it says something about this spot. It says something about the people who are here. You've seen you know, a Packer parking sign before that some people put up in their, their garages. And such. They're saying something about themselves. This is a sign, and that sign is his dependence. See, our dependence speaks of our relationship with Him. Our stopping speaks of our relationship with Him. But dependence is not something that we, we kind of look for. Uh, this is, is really good in church, and we talk about that, but in our lives, we don't like that. Actually, we like this. What? I heard something. What was it? Oh, okay. I mean, Rosie the River. Yeah, we, we celebrate that. We celebrate, you know, the Marlboro Man, the cowboy who's able to take care of it. Those who are independent, that is, that is part of our American culture, that we celebrate our independence, but the sign of the covenant that, that God put there was one of dependence. And the reason I say dependence is this, is the Sabbath was not just a once a week thing. It was, it was once every seven years. You had a Sabbath year. What would you do on a Sabbath year? You would rest. Now, that sounds really good. I mean, I don't know about you, but, but some of us in the room would be like, I'm taking a year off until you think about how do I eat. Think about it as a farmer. I don't know about you, but I don't know many farmers that are like, you know what, this year I'm going to do nothing. Nothing. I'm not going to plant any seeds. I'm not going to take care of the cattle. I'm doing nothing. Yeah, I mean, most of us would look at that and go, that's a waste. God 
goes, hey, I want you to do this once a year. You let the, the, the King James says, let, let it lay fallow. You just let it do there and you survive off what grows up naturally from where you've been planting. We couldn't do that now because most of our seed will not germinate on its own anymore, uh, which is interesting. Um, but you let it lay fallow and you just survive off what I provide. But not only do you th- do that once every seven years, but then you have the year of Jubilee, which is seven Sabbath years. And then you just have a big party. The 50th year is just this huge party. Why? Because we have to depend. We have to depend upon Him. We have to say, I can't do this all by myself. I'll depend on Him. See, we live in a society that says God helps those. Yeah. A lot of people think that's in Scripture. It's not. That doesn't mean that, you know, God just takes care of the lazy. There's a difference between laziness and dependence. Dependence is purposeful. I will trust. Laziness is, I'll do nothing. God loves for us to trust. We live in a society that says God helps those who help themselves, but that's the exact opposite. See, your God is that which you trust in and that which you serve. But we don't always treat God as though he's the one we trust in or we serve. I mean, our money, you know, has, well, I'll change that. It's supposed to be, you know, stop, hammer time. Um, That's why I should follow these notes better. Guys, we trust in lots of different things. Some of us in this room, you trust in your own abilities. I do. I'm a jack of all trades. A lot of things. I know a a little bit about a lot and a lot about nothing, uh, which is why it gets dangerous on certain things. You know, I'm I'm convinced I can fix my car almost as good as any mechanic until I tear it up. I'm convinced uh, the most dangerous thing I think I've ever done was like, I can can, uh, move the gas pipe for our, our heater and you freaked out. But it worked. But guys... I'm convinced if I get the right book, I can do this. To be honest, that's really hard for me to be dependent. To be, you know, someone who just trusts in someone else. I love this, this picture because I can't imagine just going, hey, that guy's got a secure, a secure hold. I'll just grab a hold of his foot. That's trust. What do you trust in? But I think a lot of times we treat God like, well, this is a photo from... Uh, from a wonderful show, Everybody Loves Raymond. You may have heard this because he used to say that he thought that, what's her name? I can't remember. Deborah, there we go. It would keep him around just to kill, kill bugs and open jars. See, you're not really trusting somebody at that point. And I think sometimes we treat God as like, oh, you're here for the deep emergencies. And if I can't take care of it on my own, I'll, I'll look to you. But real trust is different from that. Real trust is, I'll fall back on you. I'll trust you. So, all right, what did Jesus do again? These crowds are coming. People are looking to him for, for, for healing and for casting out of evil. And Jesus does what? He what? He left. Hey, I heard somebody over here. Was it you, Jesse? He hightails it out of there. He, he goes away and he says why he goes away. Because it says they didn't even have time to eat. Now, some of us in this room have been in emergency situations before. Some of us in this room have worked with people who are desperate. And they do not typically respond well to you going, you know what? I know you really hurt right now. I know you're really hungry. 
And that's great. I'll be back in about three hours. I'm going to take a nap right now. My family and I lived through Katrina. We, we lived in Baton Rouge, Louisiana when Katrina hit. Uh, we had lots of storms and there was a little bit of damage in Baton Rouge. But the biggest thing that happened in Baton Rouge was that all the people who were evacuated from, uh, from New Orleans came into Baton Rouge. Our, our city went from a city, a metro area of 500,000 to 1.1 million people in 48 hours. It was absurd. We went weeks without being, or without being able to find gasoline, milk, or sugar, or bread. It got so bad at one point that her mom was sending us sugar because we couldn't find it locally. I remember that Pam and I would see gas stations that had gas and we would call one another and say, go to so-and-so, there's fuel there. <laughs> we could have probably made some, I hadn't thought about that. Um, but there's a name for people like that and it's not very good. Um, guys, we worked in a, in a, a shelter for about 11 months. There were almost a thousand people living on a basketball court. There was always something to do. Our job there, the church that we were a part of, we went there and we provided uh, after school daycare uh, for people because think of it. These, it wasn't just like they said, hey, we'll just put adults who can just suffer things uh, on this. There were kids and they would go to school during the day and they would come back and they would be shoved into a basketball court, which seems big when you're there, but when there's a thousand people living on a little bigger than... Well, what, this would hold almost 500 people in cots? I mean, this was just a basketball court. And these kids were going crazy. So we went there and we worked. And the thing was, if you weren't working with the kids, there were always plenty of other jobs for you to do. There was always something that had to be done. If you've ever worked in an emergency situation, if you've ever worked with people who were desperate, you understand there's always something else to be done. And Jesus was being surrounded by people who were hurting. And the scripture says he had compassion on them. He didn't just go, you know what, I just don't care. He cared greatly. But his first step was to stop. Why? You ever known somebody who had a Messiah complex? Do you know what a Messiah complex is? What? Harry Potter. I guess he does have a Messiah complex. I hadn't thought about that. Okay, Harry Potter. <laughs> Harry Potter has a Messiah complex. I, so the, if you have a Messiah complex, you just said it. You always have to save everybody. There's some people who don't feel good about themselves unless they're saving someone, unless they're doing so. The only person in the world who's never had a Messiah complex is Jesus. He didn't feel like, oh, I have to work harder and harder and harder and harder. We see him a lot of times stopping. Not because he didn't care, but because he knew he was dependent upon God. He trusted in God to take care of people. He trusted his father to keep the business going. It wasn't all about him. And so he practiced depending. Stopping. And not stopping when he had time. It wasn't like, I'll stop later. He stops. Think about the farmers again. If you've ever been around a farmer, they can always do something. There's always another thing that can be done. There's another, another vehicle that can be fixed. There's another, another animal that can be taken care of. There's some way you can improve upon the land. 
And this was an agrarian society that Jesus was, uh, was in. This was an agrarian society that God was writing to in the book of Exodus. And he says, stop. Depend. See, your God is that which you trust in, that which you serve. The Sabbath is about us trusting to the point that we will stop. And the problem is is that we need to do that just as much now as they did then. Realistically speaking, most of us in this room are better educated than most of of our society. You're going to have more resources financially, intellectually, socially. You're going to have more resources than other people. We need dependence more than anyone. See, it's called faith, which basically means trust. And that trust is, I'll fall back on you because I believe you're there. Your God is is that which you trust in. We put it on our money. Your, Your God is that which you rest in. That you say, I am secure here. Your God is that which you believe will catch you. And the problem is, is that for so many of us, our God is us. Our God is our own abilities. Our God is our own strength. Our God is our families. Our God is our education. Our God is our career. That is what we trust in. And the sad thing is, is that for those of us in this room who are trying to proclaim that Jesus is our Lord... A lot of us don't trust in him enough to stop. So before I end, anybody have anything that needs to be added? Okay. Then this is is a real good theoretical discussion on we should Sabbath, we should Sabbath. But see, theoretical discussions are pretty much useless in in Christianity. (laughs) Um, I am a follower of Christ. That means I am not about studying Jesus just for the purpose of studying Jesus. It means my goal is to follow him. I study the Bible to be able to follow him. Without the following, it's not any good. So therefore, we need to Sabbath. We need to stop. And it is not just rest. It's dependence. We need to depend upon God. We need to say, I will trust in you. And I'll just stop. Jesus could have healed more and more and more and more people. He could have sat there all night long because they ran after him. When he tried to go rest, they ran from town to town and chased him down. And it's going to happen again. And it wasn't Jesus saying, I don't love you. It was Jesus saying, I love him. So I'll stop. The Sabbath is not just a day. It it is a mindset. The Sabbath is not even Sunday. If you were raised in a tradition that says it's Sunday, that's incorrect. The Sabbath is the seventh day on the Julian calendar. The seventh day is... Yes, 
And if you're going to say, well, then we should worship on Saturday. Uh, God actually did this in a lunar calendar. I have no earthly idea where Saturday would be on a lunar calendar because it's a 28-day cycle. We would have to go back and back and back. We could at least pretend to use the Jewish calendar, but even that's kind of off. The Sabbath, I have no idea what day it would be right now. I can tell you most likely for our calendar it would be Saturday. Yes. But what's the real Sabbath based on, on the time God put at that time? I don't know. But the Sabbath is not just about a day. It's about dependence. And maybe you are doing an amazing job of going, I'll fall back on God. I'll do a trust fall onto Jesus, which is just fun to think about. (laughs) Maybe you're wonderful at that, but I'm not. Sabbath is one of the big ten. It's one of the ones where God said, hey, you're going to do this, and I'm going to write it in stone. We only have two times that God wrote stuff. One is in the book of Exodus, and Moses destroyed those. You want an interesting thing? Jews talk about how you always talk about the law because the first tablets were written by the finger of God, and Moses destroyed those, and the second tablets were written by, uh, by Moses. And so therefore you have to discuss it because it's not a direct translation from what God wrote. That's just Jewish tradition. It's kind of fun. And the other time is a story in the book of Daniel where God writes on the wall. If you're a fan of uh, the movie A Knight's Tale, it's that same. You've been weighed. You've been measured. Who would have thought it had been in that movie? But that's it. And you've been found wanting. Those are the two times God writes. The rest of it is Him using us and he uses people who trust. Jesus did all these miracles and then he would stop. I know people who say they're doing a lot for God. He doesn't need us to do anything for him. He needs us to do things with him. And we can't do things with him if we don't, don't trust him enough to stop. I know you need to work. I know you need to study. I know there's always another project to do at home. I know there's always something else you could be doing. But the Sabbath is, I will stop. And that doesn't mean sitting down and watching another football game. It doesn't mean sitting down and and surfing the net and spending more time on Facebook. It means literally stopping, focusing on God, and those who are created in His image. Best example I ever saw of it, and I'll end with this, was some of you know that I, I went and spent uh, a little over a week uh, with a guy named Shane Claiborne. He, uh, he, he, he doesn't run it. He's a part of a, a, an intentional community called The Simple Way. And um, I, I heard him speak, and I was like, I'd love to, to hear this guy, and called up many, many times because they don't answer the phone and said, can I come over? And they said, sure. And my flight came in on, um, on a Sunday. And they practiced the, practiced the Sabbath. And for them, they practiced it on Sunday. And they had to debate in their community whether or not uh, they would, uh, picking me up from the airport would break their rules. Now, I'm not b- big on rules, but they were like, we spend our Sabbath focused on each other. We, we share love with our community all week and our neighbors are welcome to come in. But we don't, we don't usually do hosting or groups and such on, on this day. Instead, we play board games together. And uh, we, we want to pick you up because it's the loving thing to do and we're probably going to do that. 
but the community gets to decide it because I'm not free with my own time on the Sabbath. Now, I have questions about whether or not picking somebody up on on the Sabbath would be a bad thing, but what I loved was they were serious about stopping. And so many times we're not. I know people who think the Sabbath is just about you do lots and lots and lots and lots of church on Sunday and they chew people out who work on Sundays. But the Sabbath is about us stopping. I can name you people who are ministers who never stop. They do tons of stuff on on Sunday, but they never celebrate the Sabbath because they never stop. They don't depend on anybody but themselves. And the sad thing is, is sometimes that's me. So my encouragement is this. Stop. Rest. Recognize that God is not dependent upon you. He wants you to be dependent upon Him. When there's more to be done, put it off to the side and say, I will stop. I'll take care of that later. And if I can't take care of it, that's okay. And don't expect someone else to cover it for you. Don't take your rest so that somebody else has to work longer. Take your rest and trust in God. So guys, let's pray. Let's sing. If you need somebody to pray with, I will be back there and I would love to pray with you. There'll be others too, though. Pray with me, please. Father, help us to stop. Help me to stop. Help us to trust and to depend. When so many people came to your son, he had no hesitation whatsoever stopping because he trusts in you. He picked the work back up afterwards, but he trusts in you. Help us to do the same thing. Help us to work hard and work feverishly and then stop because we trust in you. Pray this in the name of your son who lived out the Sabbath. Amen. Guys, please.